Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience, 20 minutes that simplifies the complex job of managing and leading people and inspires you to take action on what you probably already know to build and sustain a smart and healthy business. Here's your host, Ed Epley, to introduce this week's guest and business leader. Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience, the podcast designed to simplify the complex job of managing and leading people. Our goal with every podcast is to share at least one proven business practice that will help you build a more sustainable, profitable, and purpose-driven company. I don't know if you could say it's getting to be a habit or what, but as as always, I'd like to give you some adjectives that describe our guest before I tell you more about the individual. He is thoughtful. He's coachable. He's curious. He's a decent human being. In today's world, you know, they're just decent people are, are, are fun to be around. He's responsible. And I, I thought about this, and I think I can safely say if you were a father or a mother, you found out that your daughter was going to marry this guy, you'd go, oh, thank God, because he's that kind of guy. He's, he's just really good person that you'd love to have as a member of your family. So please help me welcome today CEO of Wiley Ingredients, not to be confused with his younger brother, Sam, who uh, is the CEO of Wiley's Finest. This is Dan Wiley. Uh, from Coshocton, Ohio. Dan, welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. Wow, that's a uh, ringing endorsement. I uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm about to cry now. I mean, <laughs> well, it it was easy to write. I think the world of you and and your whole family, but but we've we've developed a pretty special relationship in the work we've done over the last five plus years. You know, I, I mentioned your brother, Sam. So those who've listened to the earlier podcast with your brother, Sam, kind of, if you've listened to that, you know the story about how the, the Wiley boys and I have met. So we don't want to go through that. But It was very fortuitous. Yeah, yeah, it was very fortuitous. And we have our, our, our common denominator, Miss Fran, my bride of 38 years, to thank for all of that. And Dan was even in the front row or the row in front of us. So he was he was a bystander in the initial conversation, but he, he got his way in there. I think it would be helpful for maybe you to explain the structure of the Wiley organization and the where the brothers are and, and kind of just what that is, because I'm sure at this point people have to be curious. I guess I get to uh, work with my family. And, you know, some days that's great and some days it's not so great. But on the whole, it's it's certainly a great experience yeah. and I wouldn't trade it for anything. So uh, we have been in business since 1981 and we've been working as a custom chemical manufacturing company uh, since that time. My grandfather, my grandmother, my my father, David and my uncle Paul started the business in 1981. And since then, you know, we've grown to be this ingredients manufacturer, you know, that's selling products around the world. And that's uh, uh, super exciting and, and very fulfilling, knowing that, that the products we make, you know, go to help other people's lives. So CM runs our uh, consumer products division which you heard about in, in the previous podcast. And uh, he's, he's a unique individual, very talented, very enthusiastic, and the perfect guy to, to press a bottle of fish oil into everybody's hand that he meets. Um, I, I don't share that kind of uh, enthusiasm. I'm, I'm also enthusiastic, but uh, maybe, maybe slightly toned down. I like to press drums of fish oil into people's hands. 
you know, it's just, it's a different, uh, you know, B2B versus B2C is, is a different, a different skill set, a different mindset. And, and so that's, that's where, where I am. Um, I also work with my brother, Joshua, who's our, serves on our board as a corporate fiduciary and, um, and obviously my, my uncle and my dad and Sam's wife actually is uh, my director of quality and she's also very talented. What's the total employment now for the organization? In in the ingredients division, we have about 190 people and 230 or 225 overall, I believe. Yeah. So you have the lion's share of the 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 people in the organization or and you're part of the organization. Tell me this. When I tell people, you know, it's like a, a bar room um, kind of a bet, you know, it's where's where's the most fish oil processed in the United States or in North America. The last peak place they think of is Coshocton, Ohio. And, and you know, I get guesses about the East Coast, West Coast, but or Alaska, but it's never Coshocton, Ohio. How, how did that ever happen? How did you guys get to this place where you are processing more fish oil than any place else, I think, in North America? You know, it's just really an accident. We had, you know, if you go back to 2007, uh, 2008 timeframe, if you recall, there was a, a giant commodities boom. Yeah. And then a financial crisis. Uh, so we had $140, $150 barrel oil and, right. and soybean oil at trading at 65, 70 cents a pound. And then it all, you know, it all, all collapsed. And so we were in the middle of that. And uh, we were trying to start a, uh, another ingredients business at that time. And it just became very hard. And, and so we, we had this chemical plant, ingredients manufacturing plant. And I like to tell people that it's, it's like having a restaurant. Well, we used to be a Mexican restaurant and now, now we're serving Italian, uh, but you still have the pots and pans to do, you know, the distillation, the reactions and, and things. And, you know, we just looked at different streams and different opportunities, came into contact with some interesting fishermen from Alaska. You know, they were like, well, Hey, can you process Pollock oil? And 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 we said, what's a Pollock? <laughs> well, actually, what I said was, of course we can. <laughs> like a true entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, you know, never say no to anybody at a trade show. <laughs> and so, you know, just sure. How hard can it be? You know, I think I think that's uh, that's kind of the the going theme for me and Sam is yeah, just how hard can it be? And it it was pretty difficult. You know, we learned a lot, and and I think as we learned about the specifics of the Alaska pollock fishery, the, you know, it's, it's hundred percent U.S. source. It was kind of an underdeveloped resource, primarily going to be blended into fish food and turtle food and pet food and things. And, you know, the omega-3 market was, was a robust market and growing and, you know, it just seemed like, oh, well, this would be, this seems like a good opportunity. Like, you know, we have an opportunity to be basic and a raw material to work with, you know, the primary producers and to try to turn this into a business. So that's what we did. We just, you know, grabbed the bull by the horns and, and tried to figure it out. So, so it was not something you sought out as much as the fishery sought you out by seeing you at a, at a trade show and you took a leap into that business. And, and today you're the, you are processing just this immense amount of fish oil. That's, that's the, the long and the short of it. Uh, yeah, I mean, we were open to the opportunity. So we had we had an available plant, which uh, is it's not true today. Our plant's very, very busy, and we're expanding production even in the middle of the coronavirus crisis. But at that time, we were looking at 
well, you know, what are we going to do to survive? What's the next opportunity? And, and we were open to literally anything. I mean, if somebody had come to us and said, we want you to, to do this custom polymerization, we would have jumped at that too. So, you know, life is not always, I think, about what you plan. You know, it's just about how you react to the opportunities are presented. Oh, yeah. Just for the, the, the audience, how prevalent is fish oil in products that we consume? Is it, uh, do we only consume it in a supplement or is it in other products that we might buy and, and are not aware of? Fish oil is a very challenging ingredient to incorporate into food. Um, it's, it's not a micronutrient like a vitamin. Uh, it's a macronutrient and it has the unique characteristic of oxidizing quickly to smell like fish. And I think that's a, a safety a safety mechanism that God designed into fish. Uh, so when you wouldn't choose to eat a spoiled fish, it's very difficult. So I would say 85 to 90% of, you know, omega-3 EPA, DHA content is consumed in supplement soft gel form or, or an emulsion or something. It, so in terms of the market in general, it, are what percent of uh, like the U.S. market, what percent of people take a fish oil supplement do you think? It's sometimes hard to get exact data, but from from looking at surveys and, and things, you know, it's something like one in six people take a supplement that includes like a multivitamin or or a prenatal or, or something. And it's about one in 10 fish oil in the United, only one in 10 people take fish oil in the United States. Uh, that's of that, is that including children? Is that adults? Just you know? uh, of supplement consumers. And it's, it's fairly flat. I mean, it, people who are young, you know, in their teens and twenties, they take supplements at about the same rates as most other demographics with, you know, the, uh, the boomers who are concerned about the waning years of their lives. Uh, they, they tend to over, over, uh, populate on, in terms of the supplements, but, um, it's, it's honestly fairly flat. I mean, it's, it's a supplement that hits every life stage. Well, I, I will tell you that for those of you who've, who don't necessarily know me that well, I'm a believer, uh, quality of life, and my blood tests reflect the fact that since I've been taking the fish oil and the nutrients that, that I get from supplements like yours make a difference for, for, for yours truly. You're listening to the Ed Epley Experience. Email Ed now with your questions for today's guest to podcast at theepleygroup.com. In his book, Let's Be Clear, Six Disciplines of Focused Management Pros, author Ed Epley breaks down key practices of professional management, how to implement them, and why it matters. Purchase your copy on Amazon.com today. Develop your competitive edge for the future while building a sustainable and thriving business. Porter is a guy that has introduced a concept and strategy that is widely talked about. It says you, you, as a business, you have three things you have to do to be successful, and one of them has to trump the others. So it's customer intimacy, product differentiation, and operational excellence. Have you guys at Wiley Ingredients chosen one of these as being more important for your success than, than the other two? Or do, do you just try to do all three at this point, Dan? Well, I think we, we'd really try to focus on the customer intimacy. I mean, I, I don't know that we're super self-conscious about it, but one of our, you know, values of how we succeed is through long, you know, building long-term sustainable relationships. And, you know, when you 
sell an ingredient to someone, I mean, they're believing in you and, and you're believing in them. And, you know, it's more about a relationship than it is about a transaction. And, you know, here at Wiley, we are uh, super relational and super concerned about healthy relationships. That's who we are. And that's that's what drives like who we choose to do business with. And and I think also who chooses to business to do business with us. Yeah. You have quite an impressive array of uh, customers. And and I don't know whether non-disclosures prevent you from naming any names, but uh, they do. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, but I would, I would just say it this way, folks, if you looked at a fortune 500 for the United States of businesses, or if you looked at a fortune 1000 for the world, you would see names on those lists that are doing business with the 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 organization, the Wiley Ingredients folks in, in Coshocton. It's really impressive the pedigree that you guys have of your client. Yeah, we we work with the the largest and most prestigious chemical companies, supplement companies uh, in the world. Um, we sell products in the leading retailers of the world. You can go and Google that and and see what those are. I, I can't really disclose specifics, but um, you know we also work with small producers, you know, people that want to buy one or two drums of fish oil, you know, it, it really runs the gamut. You know, I, I think especially with Wiley's Finest, uh, you know, they're selling to mom and pop retailers, you know, in Podunk Town, USA. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The uh, independent retailers are uh, big fans of uh, Wiley's Finest. They recognize there's something different about these folks and the product that's inside of, a, of, of, inside of that, that glass bottle. I think one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, Dan, was because your time working with me on organizational health and professional management has, you know, it was really kind of mirrors the time that I got to focus on it. I mean, I, I was doing a lot of different things, but over the last five to six years, I've really narrowed my focus down on where, where I spend my time. And, and unfortunately or unfortunately for you, <laughs> it, you, you were a guinea pig for a lot of the things that I was trying to do, and you were a willing participant in a lot of it. So I'm curious about if, if you'd be okay with telling your audience, the audience, about why you think organizational health has been important, why did it resonate with you? What, what, what was the belief that you had of why you thought it was going to be worth to spend the time and money to to go after organizational health? So, if you would just just take us on the journey of of why you went down this path. I think it, you know, because because we are super relational and and value the relationships. We might be a little more sensitive. I know I certainly was to, you know, dysfunction. And I'll never forget, like when, when we first started this journey with you and, and you were like, you know, I, I had this impression that we were super unhealthy and you took some surveys and were like, well, actually you guys are very healthy. You're just not very smart. <laughs> and, you know, and how you run your business. And to me, that was kind of eye-opening. It was like, you know, I was, I was hypersensitive to the uh, to the dysfunction. The success of the business, you know, isn't just always measured in, in you know, the dollars or the money that we, we generate at the end of the day for, you know, for the shareholders, but it is measured in the quality of the experience that we have for our workers and, and for the, the people that, that we're choosing to do business with. You know, the, the reason that, that our company exists, that, you know, we've, we've been, you know, uh, trying to define what our what our reason for existing is is you know to glorify God to provide meaningful and fulfilling employment opportunities in our communities and so that's our purpose it's not 
it's not to uh, you know to beat the S and P 500 25 years in a row, and and that's that's driven our our journey. I think to put this focus on healthy relationships first. I want to make sure that the audience uh, appreciates uh, the reason for what I said. Your um, interaction with one another as a, a executive team, given the fact that there at the time I think the majority of the members of the executive team were were family members, there was a lot of arguments and debate and passionate debate. And I mean, uh, knock down, drag out arguments. And, and so the family really under with, with, it's not surprising kind of thought, well, you know, we're dysfunctional because we argue a lot. It was only after doing the assessments that we did and, and then watching the the dynamics of the, the team that it, it really became evident to me. No, you're, you're having a lot of productive conflict and a lot of unproductive conflict. But, but so there was the, the ability to have the conversations and the debates and the arguments about the things that most matter are really quite prevalent in, in the way that you guys behaved at that time. So the smart things, which are, you know, having the right structure, the right strategy, the ability to say no to certain things, the ability to scale in a, in a profitable way. Those were challenges. And, and in fact, a lot of the problems that you were arguing about were structural problems. And, and so when I said they weren't smart, it wasn't IQ as much as it was just some of the infrastructure that, that, that was really required to take the business from roughly 100 employees to now well over 200. That's kind of why I said what I said at the time. And the organization has worked, I would say, equally hard at Smart and Healthy over the last five years. I don't think you've worked at one at the expense of the other, which is really hard to do while you're still running the business. And you guys have done that well. In fact, if we if we were to really be objective about the progress made, it's pretty significant on both fronts. I want to know from your perspective, though, that now that the company has more than doubled, you know, in terms of a numbers of employees, what do you think the difference is in in running an organization of two hundred plus people versus a hundred? What it it can't be exactly the same, is it? it it's not, and you know, it's it's easy in an organization of a hundred people to know everybody and to know everybody pretty intimately. In an organization that gets above 150, 160, it's hard. I mean, we have 24-7 operations. So, I mean, we have super dedicated people on nights. You know, I might see, you know, once every couple of weeks. I meet people and I'm like, look, I've never met you before. I'm, I'm Dan. Hey. And they say, well, I've been working here for like, you know, six months. And I'm like, well, gee, I'm welcome to the team. <laughs> I, you know, thanks for being here. But it's it's hard sometimes with that you know, constant 24 seven operation to really develop, you know, kind of that personal relationship with, with everybody who works on the team. We also have employees uh, in different locations in the United States. And, you know, especially now with the, uh, the coronavirus crisis, like, I don't know when I'm going to see them in person next because we used to meet at trade shows every few months. And, and so you can build relationships that way. But, I would say the hardest thing is just the is building that personal connection with with uh, everybody on your team. And every, I mean, everybody within you know all the way down to whoever's the newest guy to work in the sanitation team. You have three primary places where your people have historically resided to work. There's the kind of the Granville offices. There's the Coshocton main office, and then there's the plant in Coshocton. With the COVID virus, I'm curious about social distancing and whatnot and, and working virtually. That's not a possibility for the folks in the plant. They got to be in the plant to do it. So how, how have you managed that whole issue of, you know, we expect people to socially distance and 
and maybe fine with them being at virtual if they're not in the plant, but in the plant, they, they have to be there. And do, do you have much problem with, with people being afraid to come to the plant and, and do their jobs? Just say we're super blessed to have a, uh, a very enthusiastic and hardworking team. I was really impressed when we first had the lockdown order here in Ohio by Governor DeWine in, uh, on, the, on the 12th of March. You know, we didn't know what, what, what's this going to mean? Are, are we going to be allowed to do business? Like, how, how does this actually work? And I had 30 volunteers that said they were going to lock themselves in and live at the plant to keep it running. No kidding. Wow. Wow, I, I had not, I did not know that, Dan. That's really something. That's really, that's that's remarkable. Yeah. Now, we fortunately we didn't have to do that, but you know, they thought. I think some of them thought, well, if I have to be locked in somewhere, I better be with the guys I like to work with rather than you know my wife, because then the COVID will get me or she'll get me. I mean, <laughs> you know, it may have been a, a choice of convenience. Yeah, it could be, um, or it could have been, but, it could have been just making sure that stuff gets done, but either way, that's, that's still pretty neat. Yeah. But we have a lot of people that are, you know, ex-military. And so this is a little bit like kind of being on deployment. There were people that were definitely like, Oh, you know, this is going to be fun. This is going to be a challenge for, you know, two, three weeks or, or whatever. And fortunately it didn't have to turn into you know, 20 weeks of passing food under the door. I'm curious about how much of your uh, office staff has been virtual. Have they chosen to come in or have they, have they gone pretty much uh, out of the office? We went uh, virtual, 100% virtual for everybody who could. And that was everybody who was working that didn't have to come in and drive a fork truck or, or run the, the, the machinery immediately. Um, we went 100% virtual for, I want to say, is about 14 or 16 weeks it was in May that we started to, as the orders were relaxed, that we started to bring people back and institute cutting the capacity of conference rooms and cleaning and sanitizing surfaces and, and just reminding people. I mean, I've, I've done a lot of, of reminding people to wash their hands and, and sanitize and wear masks where necessary and to, to social distance or physical distance, I think is probably a better term. We've just been taking, you know, every day, every week at a time. We are very fortunate to be in a rural town, a rural community where there's not a lot of outside visitors that come in. So we we have escaped a lot of the uh, the worst of the coronavirus crisis. Uh, we haven't had to deal with that. What percent of your staff in the office is back in the office, would you say? I'd say we're about 90-ish, 90, 90, 95%. So my goal was, you know, over the course of like four or six weeks to get everybody back. And I realized some companies have chosen to stay, you know, 100% virtual till the end of the year. And that's a great choice for them. But, you know, we are so relational here. It's hard to have a good relationship with the computer screen. And it's hard, especially when you're hiring people. I mean, we onboarded 26 people since... Uh, the beginning of March. And it's hard to onboard and integrate people into your culture, into your team, if you can't see them in person. Yeah, I can't be next to them. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. I, I think it would be extremely hard. Well, you know, we always, uh, Dan, we always promise our listeners one proven idea that uh, would help them run that more successful and sustainable business, hopefully more profitable too. And the, the whole premise would be if you're more sustainable, you probably have a, a good, at least an average, if not above average profits. What's your suggestion? If there's one thing that our listeners as an owner of a business, as an executive CEO or president, if, if he or she w was looking for that one idea from you, what would it be? 
Well, there's a lot of great ideas, but I think I'm going to go with, you know, you got to love them up. Is that right? It, it, when you say love them up, are you talking about just invest in, in them as an individual? Is that what you mean? What, what's, what is that? What would that look like? I think it means invest in your people. You know, I, I was really struck to see uh, Alan Mulally talk about how he treated people with with love at Ford. And I realized that that sounds like something kind of soft and mushy, you know, to love your people. But there's also the discipline that goes along with love. Love is action and, and love is reminding people that they need to behave a different way. So I think if you can approach how you're running the business with genuine love for the employees, for your customers, I think it's very successful. I think the success will come. And it's it's really simple. I mean, you just, you just have to you know, treat people the way that you want to be treated. Encourage them when they're down. Give them a tough love when they need it. Uh, remind them of, of our commitments to each other. You know, it's it's one of our it's one of our core values here. Yeah, and one that I've watched you live out both in terms of your your dealings with your peers, with your subordinates, and and it's a it's a model that I know you don't do lightly. It's not it's not a it's not a path of least resistance for you. It's it's one that you believe that that pays the right dividends and do it for the right reason. Dan, thank you for being with us today. He's Dan Wiley. He's the CEO of. Wiley Ingredients. It's been a pleasure to be able to spend time with you today on the Ed Epley Experience. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Ed. Thank you for listening to the Ed Epley Experience. For more information on building a more sustainable, smarter, and healthier business, visit www.theepleygroup.com for resources, tips, and Ed's latest blogs. That's the Epley, E-P-P-L-E-Y, group.com. Plus, take a free assessment at theepleygroup.com slash assessment to find out how you measure up as a highly skilled and accomplished manager and where to focus on improving your skills. 